Hi, Kath. Hey, Don. Open up my window to substitute outside. our old friend you might know him you might recognize his voice freddie coleman is on our podcast and if you don't know freddie all you have to do is look up freddie coleman on espn and you will recognize him i'm sure you will anybody who likes sports of any kind especially in the new york area will know freddie coleman and it just so happens that freddie is an old friend of ours and just so, so happens. It just so happens. <laughs> and um, it's taken us three years to get the um, balls to invite him on our podcast because we're such amateurs. Look, Dad, we're professionals. Look, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, look at us. We made it. This is like our dad coming to our band recital uh-huh. in seventh grade after all this practice. <laughs> totally. So um, Freddie is such an old friend. He's like family. We might not have been in each other's lives over the last few years. And by few, I mean probably seven to ten. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, but it's like it's it's like no time has passed. So welcome, Freddie. What welcome, welcome. What is up, ladies? It has been too long. Way too long, as a matter of fact. Way too long. Way too long. So much has happened. Yeah, exactly. So it's so great to see you. I want to just uh, start out with like how how this all happened is kind of crazy because we haven't seen each other I, I, since 2007, since you got married mm-hmm. to the most beautiful woman in the world. No doubt. It was the most amazing wedding. And I just remember I had, I asked you, per- I asked you personally, there was like 300 guests. I have to put my jeans on and my Converse cause I can't make it. And, and, and I said, that was fine. I said, you two being there that. was more important than what you were wearing at, or not wearing at that time. You don't I remember, remember getting hit on by married men at that wedding. It was a lot of, lot that's of not surprising. Yeah, I have a lot fun. of friends that, you so know, they're, they're, their eyesight's not bad. So they clearly understood. Uh, see, that's why. <laughs> right you, answer. That's why you are a, a, an amazing person <laughs> on live entertainment. Cause that's you right. got the answer right there. That explains, but that explains why we were friends. It was just like, I can't make it. There's too much dancing. I got to put my jeans in Converse. And we just had the best time. Your wedding was incredible. So incredible. Can you imagine that wedding was at night? That wedding was during the day. Oh my God. It was a a night. There might've been some arrests and some incidents (laughs) that might've happened if that wedding was at night. 100%. It was so much fun. That was the last time. So that was 2007. Mm Mm-hmm. So we met each other and um, so I'm going to start on how we actually met was I think it was 1999 to 2000 yep. that yep. I was introduced to you yep. and you are one of the very few things that Eric has ever brought to me that was beautiful and gorgeous. <laughs> well, it's funny because I remember meeting Donna before working at, she working at the Bar Divine, I'm right. working at the radio. And so we, that's where everything got started with all of us from a professional level. And then as it got further in the 2000, where we all got a chance 
to know each other from a personal level. So, and you're exactly right. You just never know what kind of path God is going to lead you down. And I've always told people, you never question the good because I think too much of that goes on in this day and age, Cat and Donna, because so many people, they see they're waiting for the other shoe to drop or something is good in my life. When is the bad going to happen? They have right. kind of the wildly coyote effect looking for the train coming down <laughs> yeah. to knock yeah. them over, trying to chase Roadrunner. Sometimes it's always a lot better. And this is just my opinion that you don't try to analyze or overanalyze when good things or good people are in your life. Because how many times have people told us, don't allow bad things to stay with you? Well, you allow good things to stay with you and don't try to go beyond your skis and overanalyze and wait for something else that may be the opposite of that around the corner. Right, right. How I remember meeting you was at the barbecue. It was 4th of July. <laughs> Eric's, you were Eric's boss's friend. I don't know if you saw, but that's how yeah, you would. Me and Bruce are still friends. To that's this crazy. Day. Still friends. Okay. So Bruce introduced uh, you came with Bruce and Eric is was Bruce was Eric's boss. Mm -hmm. Eric and I in 2000, we were, I, you know, it takes eight times before you leave your domestic violence partner. I was at my seventh time. So I had finally moved into an apartment on my own and we were kind of separated. And then um, you were living with Bruce. Bruce and I became friends, which was great, which was fine, which was perfect. Um, and so you and I, and then with Donna, we all just kind of clicked. So we yep. stayed friends. Mm -hmm. Now I was a kid. I was like, looking back, I'm like, it was 20 years ago, plus 21 years ago. And I was at the prime of my post-traumatic stress period. Like it just started to happen with all the shenanigans that was happening with Eric. Yeah. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because you know, our listeners, they know the, the, the journey um, kind of of how it started with Eric and the kids and Donovan and, and everything. But I like to kind of think about that people have a role in your movie. You know, like I kind of think about who, like, what's the character that this person plays in your movie? And um, Eric had brought me Donovan and Sophia, and he brought me you. Because anything else, any other person that came into my life was just destructive right. and not happy. But you stayed. There was something about, like you said, God puts us together for a reason. And so in hindsight, as I'm like 47 years old now and growing up and, and evolving and, you know, wisdom has, you know, maturity and wisdom has grown with us. I go back and I said, oh, my God, I know why. Freddie was in my life because you taught me so much that I didn't well, realize you rubbed off on me, your character traits and what you were doing when we were friends, I started doing. And so anytime I have a project or something I have to do, mm -hmm. I say to myself, <laughs> I, you're a verb. I say, I'm going to Freddie the shit out of this. <laughs> true it's, it's true. so true i was like all right i gotta get my shit together i was like i am going to freddy this project and uh -huh. i gotta put my eye on the goal and i'm not gonna stop because wow. when we first met i remember you saying i'm gonna get on espn one day i'm gonna be a broadcaster you were you worked your ass off at the time is it okay if i talk about a little bit about Feel you free. your car was breaking down mm -hmm. you had your apartment you were in an attic you were you were like 
no money, scrubbing mm-hmm. it down, mm-hmm. trying to make it by. And I'm just like, no, Freddie, you got this. You could do Remember, I remember you working mm-hmm. out and you watching the, the football. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, whatever it is you want to do, you're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. <laughs> and you and I having these conversations. Because you have to have faith in yourself. And I think we all go through that at a certain point where you have this kind of emotional shootout where you question yourself. And a lot of that can be a professional thing. A lot of that can be a personal thing. Anything that you've gone through or Donna has gone through or I've gone through, we've always gotten to that point in our lives. We say, okay, am I going to go left or am I going to go right? Because if I go to the left, that may not be a good thing. But if I go right, it may be a bumpy cobblestone road. But if you stay with it and hang with it, there's going to be that reward at the end of it. And I think sometimes we get two lost ladies into looking for that pot of gold because a lot of people don't realize once you get that pot of gold, it may not be what it's cracked up to be. Oh, you can say that again. Say that again, Freddie. Sometimes you get to the pot of gold and you don't think it's going to be all it's cracked up to be because a lot of times the journey leading up to that is a lot better. It's not going to be as safe as that pot of gold may turn out to be. But I think a lot of times people, we get too lost trying to focus on different things that we think matter. And we lose sight of those things that do matter. Even when I was going through that, Uh I always had an unshakable faith in myself to believe, okay, at a certain point, things are going to turn around. When I lost my job back in 2002, I never said I was going to be out of this business. I said, okay, this business is going to have to throw me out. (laughs) That's how that's going to go. Uh So I never allowed myself to believe less in myself. So no matter what tough time I was going through and trying to figure it out, trying to make sure you keep your head above water, I think if you have a lot of belief in yourself and you trust yourself that no matter what barriers are thrown in front of you, you're going to find a way to eclipse those barriers. And then whenever another barrier comes across, you're going to say, okay, I dealt with that. And that wasn't as bad as this one. So I know I'll be able to handle that. Your faith really rubbed off on me. I, you know, like, and, and you also helped me about relationships and friendships. And I appreciated that because I was so lost at that time. I was so afraid and I was so lonely. Mm -hmm. And you just had this way, you were just, I just can't thank you enough for teaching me that. And I'm gonna say one more thing, it's gonna make me cry. Okay. So I've had several incidents where my life was on the line from Eric, you know that. And I love that you bear witness, you are one of my witnesses. So I appreciate that. So I moved into the apartment and it was right before, uh, let me just do a thing. So I'll just talk about this. So Eric has stayed in the house. I got my own apartment. It was Sophie and you would come over and just do laundry. We'd hang out. Mm -hmm. I felt so safe because I never knew when he was going to come back. Right. He was, he was going back and forth and it was, I didn't realize that was what it was at the time. And you called me, I swear this was, it was random. You called me and you were just checking in. Like I, I just saw you like not even two days beforehand. Mm-hmm. And as we were on the phone, I was watching Godfather. I said, I'm watching Godfather. I'm going to get some spaghetti and beer for dad. You know, like we were talking mm-hmm. about that. We were laughing and the door, the doorbell rings. And I was like, oh, I don't know who that is. I know I didn't order anything. And you said, who is that? I said, I don't know. And Eric was in Virginia. So I wasn't expecting that to be him. And you just said, don't hang up the phone. You, you just had this sense, spidey sense. It was him. And was he him. bashed through the door. Mm-hmm. I remember. And you were on the phone. You're like, I'm calling 911. 
He bashes through the door. He tore my entire apartment. And I'm disclaiming this is if if uh, this is we're going to be talking about domestic violence. Uh, this is just so trigger you know. warning. Trigger warning. Mm-hmm. He threw me into the bedroom and he he wrapped the telephone wire around my neck. You were on the knowing you were on the other line. I was three seconds away, and the cops came. If you did not call the cops, I wouldn't have been here. It was so, I totally forgot about that. I remember that like it happened yesterday because it took everything in my being to not go there. And I'll never forget the person on the other line said, Mr. Coleman, you got to let the police handle this because if you go there, you don't know what's going to happen from that situation. She instantly figured out that if I had gone there, there would have been some furniture being moved around yeah, from right. that standpoint. Yes, yeah. I, I and, love you for that. Yes. Yeah, and and he, I remember Bruce and I talked about that, and Bruce said, man, if you had called me, I said, yeah, we both would have been in trouble from the standpoint of, and Bruce finished the sentence for He said, yeah, because that guy's not worth it. The authorities needed to handle that and eradicate him from that situation because he was the first person, after, after I made sure you were okay, I mean, you called me, said the police had gotten out of the house. I said, you need me to show up. And you said, no, no, everything's handled. And Donna, I'll tell you this too. I knew your sister was lying. <laughs> right. I knew she was yeah. completely lying. Right. But mm-hmm. she didn't want, she, it's like she didn't want to take her burden and inflict that on me, not knowing that at that point, anybody would have done anything for you to make sure that you were going to be safe. But I clearly understood because she was thinking that I don't want my problems. No to become somebody else's problems. And I know that's how she felt. So she was taking one for the team. Let's oh, put it that Freddie. way. Thank that's you so way. much. Yeah, and so, so I knew it. But And and I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that standpoint because Bruce and I both knew yeah. if we had shown up there, yeah. we would have been on the local news like this and then like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Welcome didn't to the need, club, I didn't need that. Freddie. I yeah. didn't need not- the club. Right, exactly. And I knew that if Donna had gotten involved oh, and then your dad had gotten involved at that point, you know, he yeah. wouldn't have needed a police. He didn't need a priest from that oh, standpoint. Yeah. So you know, probably just as well. I yeah. think that that's, uh, you know, in hindsight, that's how I dealt with it is I, mm-hmm. I, nobody knew what I was really going through because, you know, I'm a pillar in the community. I was working in the education system. I could handle everything. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I had this reputation, which is the medicine of this week. It's all about skunk medicine this week. And so, I think that when I think about who you were in my story, you were like a young Miyagi and I was Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) And you were showing me, I got got snot. You were showing me, you know, in this subtle subconscious way. And that's why I think you and Bruce, I know that's why you and Bruce were put in my life, regardless Mm -hmm. of the chemistry or whatever. Sure. You guys were like, I had no safety. There was no safety, but you and and Bruce, I, I guess I didn't think of that. And I'm going to say thank you from the bottom of my heart that I'm here talking today, helping other women and men who mm-hmm. go through domestic violence. I help I help other people for what I went through and I'm grateful for it. And so you were a hero in my story. And I to tell you that is just like this is like the best refreshing moment for me. Thank you. Well, number one, you're welcome because you know we would do anything for each other. And yes. And from that standpoint, and Donna can testify to this as well. People sometimes feel that they're alone and that there isn't anyone that they can go to. And yeah. I can't even imagine women being in that situation where 
you know you have family, you know you have friends. And I really combine the two. If someone's a friend yeah. of mine, they're family. I've never yeah. put family over here and friends over there. To me, they intersect and they intertwine as far as that goes. But I can't even imagine. I've had a chance to talk with women who've been in similar situations, yeah. Kat, as you've been, or been in worse situations yeah. where, you know, they went to the hospital not knowing if they were going to come out of that hospital and right. they were going to be looking down on them with a headstone in front of them from that standpoint. Yeah. So, and the one thing they always talked about, they always believed that they could either handle it themselves or take care of it themselves or find a way out of it themselves. And the common denominator here is the word themselves. And that's the one thing that they always felt that they were alone. And I'll never get talking with somebody. I've just gotten ESPN radio about, I've been about a year and a half and a friend of mine, his sister was going through the same situation. And I swear, Kat, it seemed that you and Vicky were mirror images of each oh, other. Wow. The yeah. difference was that Vicky said, you know what, it may be the hardest thing I have to do, but I have to tell my dad what's going on because she was so concerned about bringing a bad light to her husband at the time because her dad loved her husband and thought right. yeah, that was the kind of son I would want if he wasn't with my daughter. And she would always had that in her mind. And I told her, I said, do you actually believe that your dad would choose your soon-to-be ex-husband over you? And her answer was yes. She thought for wow, sure yes. that she mm -hmm. would be looked upon in a bad light. That she, he, he, she said she was so afraid that my dad would say, well, it was your fault. Why couldn't you make it work? Or why? And so the one common denominator that people have to realize that you should not feel that you are alone. Even right. if you have to find a friend, family member, even somebody, if you need to call a hotline, yeah. somebody is always going to be there for you. But if you don't reach out, then you're not helping yourself from that standpoint. And that's the one thing yeah. you can't feel is if you're by yourself. Right. It took so many years to get out. Like I got out, I ended up getting out of it after Donovan was born, but it took like that hospital, you know, he, he had held us hostage for three days and, and had his way quite a bit. And it was, it was pretty traumatic event. Uh, but it was, it was the last draw because I couldn't make it private anymore. I had to right. tell Donna, I had, Donna was the first go-to mm -hmm. and she had to see the bruises and she had to see this because yeah. now it was like, I couldn't hide it from the kids and I couldn't, there was nothing to hide anymore. Right. And so, but once I got done, I didn't realize I should have brought Donna in a while ago because he's so afraid of Donna. That's <laughs> what I told you. <laughs> you Donna, I told her that I said, do you actually think he's going to, across her i said i said believe me there is no way that your sister is gonna allow both of your sisters I there was know. no yep. way that both of them are gonna allow this to continue as you either want to bother yeah and you either want to bother donna and i'm like are you out of your mind <laughs> to when you're day, i relish the opportunities to get face to face with him because i know that man is scared of me because exactly. i said it in front of cops like i am not afraid to go to jail f to hurt you pal still yeah. to this day Still yeah. the same. Yeah, luckily so we do have. I wanted to say um, on this subject, you know, football's your jam. Like mm -hmm. the NFL is your jam. Yeah. College football is your jam. And with domestic violence, do you think that those organizations do um, the right thing when it comes to violence against women? No, they don't. I think there are way too many organizations that don't do enough. And the one thing that bothers me, Don and Cap, more than anything else, it's one thing to know is something like that's going on, but then don't do anything. That's the problem that, that's the thing that bugs me the most. And for example, with when Ohio State football, Urban Meyer, he had one of his assistant coaches that according to reports knew what was going on in that house, but he and his wife 
didn't want to get involved because they're worried about a stain on the program. They're worried about a black mark in the program. I said, you should be worried about the black mark in that woman's face or the black mark that the family has to go through. So I never believe in any professional capacity. I don't care if it's sports. I don't care if it's entertainment. I don't care if it's politics. I don't care if it's the average Joe and Josephine. Right. If you know something like that is going on and you're not willing to do anything, if you're trying to hush it away, you're trying to bury it, I'm thinking you're you're as bad as the abuser in this situation. You know what? I'm not asking anybody to go there and get in touch the individuality and stuff like that. But if somebody's doing something like that, you should call the authorities at Absolutely. that point. And also let it be known that that person, if they're going through that, to say, you can always come here or you can come somewhere else. You don't have to feel the need to protect that person that does not protect you, that has right. not protected you. So anytime I hear about these situations in sports, and maybe it's just me, I'm more inclined to believe the one that is being abused and not the abuser. You're going to have to really show me concrete evidence that, okay, I don't understand why this happened, but right. she started it. He shouldn't have gone to that level. You have to really go that place for me. And even yeah. them thinking, dude, if what if you got to that point, then right. you need to remove yourself from that situation. If, if 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 the relationship is that toxic that you feel the need to being physical is the answer from both ways, one way or the other, then one right. of you has to be the bigger person in that situation and move on. And I think too many times we we give too much leeway to athletes, and especially based on your name. The bigger your name, the yeah. more leeway that you seem to get. And it doesn't matter what sport that is, what position that you hold. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that publicly. Yeah, it is well, very I, I frustrating. I've record said that before. I don't, I don't mince yeah. words when it comes to that. So I don't mind. People can clap back at me on Twitter all they want. I'm a big boy. I can handle you. So I'm not really <laughs> worried about that from that standpoint. But yes, I'm going to speak my mind on can. that because wrong is wrong. wrong. Now, I have to say that that speaks to your authenticity. And uh, you are someone who I look up to as following your authentic path to find your place in this. So um, I want to go back to something that you said, you know, in 2000, whenever, when you got fired from your job and it was in this field, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. 2002, like, uh, Cablevision moved on from our, the majority of people in our whole company. Yeah. Right. And how, how do you, what do you say to people when that happens, when you feel like, all right, I'm on the path, I'm doing my thing. And then something like the rug gets pulled out from under you. Yeah. And how do you keep going? It's okay to feel like crap <laughs> because someone <laughs> basically told you, seriously, I mean, right. I, it may not be the most, it may not be the most politically correct thing to say, but it's the best thing, best advice I ever heard. Somebody said, well, how do you feel? I said, I feel like, you know what, you're supposed to. Someone told you that if, if it rains tomorrow, you don't have to come into work. But if it does rain tomorrow, you don't have to be here. From that standpoint, someone told you that your services are no longer needed. Right. So yeah, you're supposed to feel like crap. It's You're allowed to feel that because it doesn't, it's not a failure. It's just a roadblock that was thrown in front of you that you weren't prepared for. But now you have a chance to maybe do something else. You should be able to do something else. And that's why I tell people, you never allow a job to define you. You can have a career define you a little bit. I'm but you clap never on allow that. Right, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you, you never allow a job to define you because if that's the definition of you, if they take that job away, does that mean they take you away? So I never allowed myself mm -hmm. to feel down that whenever that happened, I knew it wasn't my fault that Cablevision moved on from us. They had they had the downsize, and in the words of, of noted philosopher, when those things happen, they come for the little people first. And okay, yeah. you're part of the little people. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't mean that you stop being who you are and you find different ways to do 
what you want to do and how to get back into it. So after I didn't have a self-pity party, anything like that, I was really mad for a couple of days. But then this world doesn't stop just because something stopped you. So you better figure it out. And I said, okay, what can I do going forward? And I found as many different avenues and roads that could lead me back to wherever that was going to be and however I was going to have a chance to do that. But I was going to make sure that my life personally, professionally was going to stop just because a job stopped. Just right. because that part of my career was going to be put on hiatus. I was not going to let that defeat me from that standpoint. No, because you're so full of action. Your name should be a verb. Well, you can't stop because the world spins. And if you stop, the world keeps spinning. And I think a right. lot of people, it's hard to try to convey that to people because you're so wrapped up in that grief. You're so wrapped up in those five stages that everybody goes through when you have something like that happens, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, whatever that's going to be. But the minute that you realize, that, okay, I better get a move on because that world has already got to move on. The minute you figure that and find a different vocation or a different passion, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden things become a lot clearer and then things do get better if you allow them to get better and not just stay where you were or stay where you are. Uh, you know, we talk about that a lot, uh, you know, especially with what's going on with uh, COVID. And I pray that you're safe and well and you have a job where we can use a microphone and be, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in distance and safe is that the depression and anxiety because of the workplace is so high. I work with a lot of clients that that are suffering and living with this. Yeah. That I, I kind of preach the same thing is that, that your job doesn't define who you are, that you can't say it better than that. And that if you're at a point where it's making you sick, it's your body, your, the body is uh, the spirit's messenger. So when the spirit is trying to talk to you, it'll do it through your body. So if exactly. your spirit's saying, this isn't where you're supposed to be, and that's why you have stomach aches, headaches, you're vomiting, you're shaking, you're doing all that, something has to change. And so when you trust that process and you trust that it's, it leaves rooms for something better. If, 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 you know, if you don't make the change, the universe is going to make the change for you. And, and it's sometimes it's hard for people to realize that stepping out on faith is not a bad thing because so many people, and I was guilty of this when I was younger. So many people are afraid that, well, what if I fail? Then what? Sometimes you got to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to trust that no matter what happens, I'm going to be a better person for it. If it doesn't work out, okay, I'll, I'll learn from that experience. Right. If it does work out, I can still learn from that experience. But I think more than ever before, Kat and Donna, so many people want to be validated. And I think, oh. you know, if you're trying to find validation <laughs> from different sources, yeah. not saying that says a lot about you, but it gives yeah. me kind of a clue of what kind of characteristic that you may have or that you may not have. I would never allow something or somebody else to define me. I have to do that job. And people can say whatever they want, I'm good with it. They have a right to say what they want about me and I have a right to pay attention to it or to not pay attention to it. But I'm always gonna make sure that I worry about validating me first. And it doesn't have to be at any kind of level. It doesn't have to be in any kind of degree that other people may have that kind of, that kind of expectation for me. And I think more than ever before, people have to realize you shouldn't look to outside sources or outside people to validate you. You have to do a job of that. And whatever people have to say about you, then that shouldn't matter because if you're not happy with yourself, there's not gonna be any amount of good that people are gonna say no. that's gonna make you feel better. 
But if you know that you're a good person and you know you're doing things the right way, there's not any kind of bad that anybody's going to say that's going to deter you from being you. And I think we've got to get to a point, whether whatever faith you believe in or if you're not a faithful person, you shouldn't look for other things to validate you if you're not doing it. And if you're not doing it, then you're just a hamster in the wheel that the day will change, but this is still the same thing. You're going through the same things and those things aren't eliminated from your life because you're looking for something and you're chasing a ghost that you're never going to catch. It's, 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 um, what's the word? What's the word? It's, uh, it's, uh, forget it. Stroke brain, <laughs> stroke brain. Hold on. Um, it, it definitely is. a new show now, Words with Kathy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Freddie, uh, this whole podcast, <laughs> this whole podcast is, is about that. You have no idea. <laughs> last week, our last episode, Sophie turned 26 this past week. And last week, we recorded uh-huh. our last episode, and Kathy said, Oh, it's uh, she turned 26. That's a one. It's 10. It's a one year. And I was like, uh huh. Yeah, uh huh. It's, it's exactly it. And then it wasn't until days later when we we're on the couch hanging out with the grandbaby. Uh-huh. I said, Kathy, what's six and two? And she's like, why? I said, do you think it's 10? Like, oh, I think I said 10 on the podcast. I'm like, you did. You, you did. did. <laughs> I did card of the day today. And I'm like, oh, the turtle came. There was a turtle. It was a frog. But here I am talking about how great the turtle is. Reptile, frog, it's a goddamn tomato, potato. Frog. <laughs> All green things. You know, I don't have my glasses on. What do you want? What do you want? I see the future. I don't see through my eyes. I was going to say, you're trying to look through world through patient eyes. I get it. (laughs) Oh, God, I'm so loopy. It's just getting worse and worse, and I'm trying so hard. I hurt myself. (laughs) Ow, the thinking. Oh, man. So, Freddie, I have a serious question. Okay. I don't follow football since Dad died, which is terrible. I know. Um, the fact that I don't follow football dad passed in the right time that he did Mm -hmm. but um, the one time I tuned in I was like oh let's uh, let's dad and I actually was listening to I was listening to sports radio and it was right after the dumping um, game Mm -hmm. about when um, they threw the game so that they could have a better draft pick and I really was like Oh, I wish I could call Freddie right now because I don't really get that, but I know I'm mad. Why am I mad? Because, Why was I mad, Freddie? Because tanking, and I hate it. Tanking, hate, that was what it yeah, was. When, when people put that word out there, whether it's true, ladies, or not true, it just bugs me because I mean, you're, basically you're disrespecting the guys that are going out there that are playing for a job and they want to compete. It doesn't matter if 15 and 0 or if they're 0 and 15, they have a job to do and they want right. to go out there and do that right. job to the best of their ability. So you, I've talked to a number of professional athletes and coaches, and when you bring up tanking, they really, really get warm about that whole thing because even if it's an organizational thing, that's the last thing you want to hear. It's one right. thing to say, yeah, we know we're not any good. We get it. We're having a tough season. But let's not bring that to the equation that we should be throwing games so we can right. get somebody that we hope in right. the future is going to help us. And I'm a big believer that you fear the known and leave the unknown alone. So I know the unknown may look great out there, but who's to say that guy's going to be any good or that the players that you're going to get that may replace me because you think they're better than I am. So believe me, anytime I hear tanking, I lose my mind. I thought it was a good metaphor for life. 
Oh, that, I didn't even think about that. Wow. You know, Don, that's a great metaphor because how many times that we've had people think, you know, if I give up on this, then things are going to get better down the future. Well, you better make pretty sure that'd be pretty damn sure right. that whatever you're willing to give up or who you're willing to give up, that that reward is going to be better than what you have because you can look around. It's like the old joke I heard from a long time ago from Bill Hicks, this great comedian, God rest his soul. Mm -hmm. And he talked about Adam and Eve being in the garden of Eden. Adam goes, yeah, we got, you know, we got the birds, we got this, we don't have to wear any clothes. We got all the food we want. The Lord loves us. And he said, the next, and Eve goes, yeah, just doesn't seem to be enough now, does it? And he was yeah. making a joke. Right. But the metaphor was, if something is really good in your life or someone is really good in your life, there's no need to try to find something better. Let it happen organically with that situation, with that person, because you may go to scout something and think that unknown is better than the known. Then that unknown becomes known, and then you're in a worse situation. The grass is never greener on the other side. It never is. Never is. Never. Is. never, is. never. You may think it is, and you get there. There's dandelions here, and there's crabgrass over there, and the lawnmower is not. A lot working. of dog poop. <laughs> a lot it, of dog poop. A lot of dog poop. A lot of bird poop. Cats are not going near your house it's or anything crazy. like that. It really is. It really. Potholes really are crazy. <laughs> Can't see it from a plane, but when up close, it's stinky. It's, it's stinky. pretty bad. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Absolutely. So, um, uh. Our football's over now. So what do you talk about now? And what, oh, wait, I know what. Yeah. Um, so how, when COVID came down, like you're, you're the whole sports world, like how can you possibly talk about things for hours every day when everything was so <laughs> like we do. down? Like we, we don't, we do it once a week, Kath. And when COVID first right. uh, started, we stopped for a few weeks. Yeah, we did. What did you do, Freddie? Right. What was it like for really? you? Really? What, what we did when that happened, we were able to find different ways to find different stories that were out there. And you can't just talk about COVID-19 and hoping stuff was going to come back at a certain point. That conversation yeah. was going to get very, very old. So we found different ways to talk about different stories that were out there. The NFL wasn't around the corner, but people talking about free agency and the NFL drafts. We had a chance to sink our teeth into that. If something happened with an athlete signing a contract or with the whole thing with Black Lives Matter and protestations oh, yeah. that were out there, we had a chance to talk about that. Mm. But we found different stories that we may not have wanted to find with live sports being around that we were able to. Well, for example, there's this women's coach in the state of Minnesota that became the first women's coach of, of a men's team in college basketball. So yeah, it cool. yeah, so it was cool to share her story yeah. and have her come on and talk about that. When they had the Last Dance documentary of Michael Jordan, we found so many different ways yeah. to branch off of that story where Kenny Lattimore, who's one of my favorite R&B singers, Michael Jordan played his song before each game during part of that documentary and his sales went through the roof. Well, we had Kenny mm -hmm. Lattimore on and we found out that Kenny Lattimore was a fan of our show. We would have never known that. Look at that. Yeah. Look out. at that. Yeah, yeah so you, you found different ways to reach out and when sports came back, we didn't go away from those stories. We didn't go away from stuff that was out there that we said, we got to find a place for that. We're going to make sure from now on that even when live sports come back, that we're going to find a place for it. And now we've been able to expand our show and bring different things to the table that if we had live sports, let's say we did not have COVID-19 takeaway, basketball, baseball, NHL, National Hockey League, and so on and so forth, we might have ignored those stories. Well, now we don't anymore. We think, hey, that's something that people want to mm -hmm. hear from our show. 
they expect that from us now. Now we want to deliver that. So if That's anything, right. not saying it's a, you never want COVID-19 to be a good thing. There's no. no silver lining as far as that goes, but it tested us and we're able to pass the test because we didn't just sit back and say, what was us? We said, hey, people are dying. People are going through so many different things because of COVID-19. Yeah. What can we do to not ease their pain, but make things just a little bit better and a little bit brighter? And that's when those stories and we start, start start to focus on those stories. And then we have people able to hear those stories and have a chance to sink their teeth into it and say, wow, they went through some, oh man, that's a great story. That gives me incentive to carry on and try to get past this as best as I can. That's you know, awesome. what's so interesting is I've never, um, I'm not a big, huge sports fan. I, I loved hockey because my dad, dad took us ho mm -hmm. to hockey. Right. I liked watching basketball. Donna would take me to the WNBA's basketball oh, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, games because I was with Donna and it was fun and you get popcorn and you, you're with people and it's fun, <laughs> right. right? And that's just a small part of it. And I think that um, one of the things that Donna and dad um, did, which I think is amazing, is they always told me stories about the players. Mm -hmm. And I'm a human humanitarian, so I'm more interested about the stories. I will watch something if I'm a fan. I cry when people win on game shows. I definitely <laughs> cry All when right. I know somebody struggled. And look at them playing, and I'm so proud of them. And that's how I've, I look at that. And I think that the approach that you're going with your show is going to entice people to say there are stories. There's amazing inspirational stories in mm -hmm. sports yeah. and when you dive deeper in just the live action part of it and go behind the scenes it's a phenomenal world yep. it's a phenomenal world like the olympics yeah, yeah. We, we've been able to find that out anytime we've interviewed somebody that we get people say oh yeah you can have so-and-so it used to be that well you know he's tired after the game and we don't want to bother him but the way that me and my co-host ian fitzsimmons interview people we go behind the player and when you do that, we found that they will just light up. You can say, oh, you scored this many points in the game. Right. You guys are playing great. Yeah, you get that as what I call the top. Oh, yeah, man, great right. performance tonight. Man, you guys about down by eight points. You come back and win. What was that about? But I always try to find something, and that's the value of the Internet, that you can Google someone's name and you can find something. We had mm -hmm. a, a kid on last week, Joe Wieskamp of Iowa, who's been unbelievable, had made 15 out of those last 23 pointers in three straight games. So they had a big win. And I said, all right, who's a better basketball player? Is it you or your fiance who you just got engaged to? <laughs> and he said, I better say her because this might get back to her. And he busted out laughing. I said, see, you learned the first rule of almost being a husband. Happy wife, happy life. He goes, yes, because if she's happy, then I'm happy. If she's not happy, I said, then you can't get married. And he, and, he, and his the person that was in charge, the sports information director, called our producer back and said he had so much fun. He said, anytime you guys want him, he will always come on with That's you guys. Great. Because right. people know that we will find the human element because humans play sports and humans are going to have those kind humans of emotions. Humans play sports. sports. Yeah, yes, you know, they it, do. Yeah, they do. But I think <laughs> we do. lose sight of that because I think we put athletes so far on the pedestal. Oh, we treat yeah. them as if they're gods or robots and stuff like that. And people don't realize they're just like us. They're right. doing something that's their vocation but that doesn't make them superhuman. They're just a human being who does superhuman things in a basketball court or a football field. But when you get to their personalities, there's a lot of great personalities out there if you yeah. take the time to find out and ask them that question. And more often than not, they'll say, man, you did your homework and they'll give you a great answer that's right. in addition to what they did on the court. You get a chance to see what they're all about a little bit off the court.
Give me um I love that. give me a couple that really inspired you that was surprising. Oh my goodness. I'll never forget um and this is a non athlete when Ice Cube when we had him in the building and Ice you know, Cube. Yeah, you mentioned Ice Cube and NWA to me, and I'm I'm good to go from that standpoint. It is tasty pudding time for Frank. Did you watch SNL this past weekend? What did he call I them? Did. Frozen? What is it? Uh, they had another name for Ice Cube in Britain. Now I gotta yeah. go figure that out. Yeah, when they hit, that's right. It was like Frozen yeah. something. Yeah, like, I'm yeah, gonna I find out right now. Go ahead, tell us the story. They had the guy from Brid from Bridgerton, and he was the English <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> Keenan comes on. He's like Ice Cube in the English accent. That was pretty funny for yeah. Saturday Night Live. And so he comes in. So I'm trying to not have one of those fanboy knock need moments so he's there with his wife meet him and everything we're talking before the interview and he i said you ready oh, i'm ready i'm ready for you so i come out and i say you know snoop dogg i read an article not too long ago snoop dogg said that if it wasn't for you that he wouldn't be in this game i said what do you think about that he goes when did he say that i said i read an article on rollingstone.com about two months ago and they were asked about his career and everything and he said man if it wasn't for a dude like ice cube i don't know where i would be and i guarantee it wouldn't be in a good place and the look on his face was priceless because he hadn't, he hadn't heard that. Ah. I thought he's a really great actor, but mm -hmm. he hadn't heard that. And his wife looked at me because she's sitting in the room with us too. And she looked at me and said, like, where did you find that? Because she, she was stunned and she thought that was pretty cool that somebody that they know and that they're close to thought that about their husband, but they didn't know about that. And he said, well, he said, next time I talk to Snoop, I'm going to thank him, number one, because this is the first time I heard about that. And number two, you just never know who's paying attention. We didn't think anything about that. We were just a bunch of kids out of Compton that we just wanted to make records and make money and get out of our existence and tell the truth. So it was really cool seeing the look on his face yeah. when he found out something that he didn't know before about somebody that was really close to him. So that's the first one that jumps to mind. Another one is Nick Saban. He's the Alabama football coach. And he's just, right now, he's the biggest, baddest boy in the college football jungle. There's no doubt about that. As a coach and his players graduate, not a lot of scandal and everything like that. So we have what we used to call a car wash where you we bring people in and they would go from show to show to show to show to show. Okay. I'm the last one that's talking to Nick Saban. So he's probably talked about Alabama football with eight different people. Mm -hmm. He's probably heard the same question eight different times from Alabama football and Auburn and the rivalry and, da -da 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 and all that stuff. So you can tell when he gets to me, he's gotten to me, and he just looks like he's just had it. He's ready to wave the white flag. You know, he, all right, you, I surrender, you win. So yeah. I get up next to him. I said, Coach Saban, Freddie Coleman, nice to meet you. I said, I'm not going to ask you anything about Alabama versus Auburn. And he broke out into his smiles and just say, like, whew, thank God for that. <laughs> so we get in the studio, and I said, if Nick Saban had walk-up music to run out into the field, what would that be? And he lit up. He go, oh man, it'd be anything for the Temptations or the stylistics. I said, you're a soul music fan. He goes, man, that's what I grew up on. I grew up on Motown. I grew mm -hmm. up on Otis Redding. That that was the first five minutes of the interview. Nick Saban's musical choices and everything. So by the time we got the football, he was ready. I, I didn't ask yeah. him about Auburn. I said, yeah. I said, coach, you talk about the process. A lot of people don't know what that is. What is the process and what does it mean in Alabama? And he gave like this great layman's answer that even if you didn't know football, he put it in a life term from that standpoint. Yeah. So the, in, the interview was supposed to last about eight minutes. We were talking like 15 minutes. And oh, we, didn't awesome. cut off. we didn't edit anything. We just let it go. And so he ends the interview. He goes, Freddie, anytime you want me on your show, you let me know. I said, coach, you are a busy man. If I have to bug you, that means the world has gone completely on end. It's gone completely <laughs> nowhere. He goes, he did just like they said, mm -mm. 
you let me know. I'll come on your show anytime. Uh, and I haven't bugged him. I haven't called in that favor because I just don't do that. Right. But one week before a big game, I said, I wonder if, you know, he'll come on. And two years later, I called him if I play LSU, he came on our show. That's really Oh, that's great. so awesome. Man of his word. Man of his that's word. So those great. are the two off the top of my head where when you bring a human element and mm-hmm. people are listening, they'll lean in. That's when right. I just talk about the yeah. same old, same old. You get a chance to see a different aspect of them that a lot of people don't get a chance to see. Yeah, I um, I always say if you give me five minutes, I can make you interested in baseball and teach you craps. <laughs> and somebody said to me, and, and actually, um, the last person, uh, Sophie's boyfriend, who is does not care about sports at all. Mm-hmm. I said, I can make you interested in seeing something on YouTube about baseball. Just give me five minutes. And I told him the story about Marcus Timms when he, um, his first at bat against Randy Johnson. Oh yeah. So I, I put that in perspective, that yeah. story mm-hmm. about this young kid. He was like third down on the farm team, right. injury after injury, after injury at the last minute, they were like, all right, listen, it's kind of a throwaway game. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you just got to come in. We need a body on the field. They yep. were literally sewing his uniform when he came in. And he faced Randy Johnson at the time, Arizona Diamondback yep. killer. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he was, his nerves, I don't know, was he too nervous or too relaxed or whatever? And his very first pitch, he hit a home run. Mm -hmm. And the place went crazy. So anyway, (laughs) that's the short version. The longer version is more interesting. And then I'm like, you want to see that on YouTube now? Here you go. And then they want to watch it. And so um, uh, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, just... uh, Donna, don't I, go away from the microphone. I'm sorry. I just I'm totally sorry. produced I'm while we're sorry. live. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I lost focused. my train of thought. But yeah, I think it's, you know, humans play sports and that's the, you know, that's the, that's the secret of bringing everybody back to what we have in common. Exactly. More than what we don't. And along yeah. those lines, um, I'd love to have you chat about the full circle of Black Lives Matter, how it started with the kneeling. Mm-hmm. in sports and how it came like from there to now what's yeah. your perspective my and personally perspective, yeah well personally i mean we can get into the whole thing that's been a long time coming yeah we all know that from that yes. standpoint you don't have to like black lives matter you don't have to like kneeling whatever that is that's fine but it's been a long time coming for a reckoning like this i think the one thing that did surprise me was so many not just women but different faces of women it wasn't just it wasn't just people of color. It was people from so many different colors that were out there saying, you know what? I haven't been affected, but enough is enough. We can't allow this to continue. And I know it, once things get political, we know how that works in the world we live in and people talking about what blue lives matter. And I said, no one said that nobody else's lives matter. They were saying, we were saying is that our lives matter as much as yours when it comes right. to certain situations, when it comes to a lot of situations. But when you get people on one side or the other and no one wants to have a dialogue or a conversation, then it's gonna get politicized from that standpoint. But the one thing that really has struck me is that it didn't stop. It seemed that the more political people tried to make it, the stronger it became and it hasn't gone away. Now, granted, I've never believed that, you know, kneeling for the national anthem, I never believed the national anthem should be played for sporting events anyway. It's a flag, it's a symbol, it's a song for the country, but it has nothing to do 
with a sport because I guarantee if you told people we're not going to play a national anthem before a sport, nine out of 10 are going to say, okay, we're still going to watch football. We're still <laughs> right. going to go see a right. sporting event anyway. And for the one person that feels that way, well, that's how they feel. I'm completely okay with that. But just to see so many cross sections of people were willing to have that conversation or more importantly, have a conversation. Okay. What don't I know? What should I understand? And Ian and I have these conversations all the time because he's a, a white person from the South of the United States, born in Louisiana, oh. living in Dallas, Texas. Here I am, a son of Southern parents, but I grew up in the Northern part of the country in New York and then went to school in Pennsylvania and now working in Connecticut. We're not afraid to ask questions about what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And he said, the one thing is, well, you don't ask me too many questions. I said, yeah, because I see it. It's in the media. I mean, right. believe me, for every every Brady Bunch and all the family, we finally got good times, but it was like right. one out of eight from that standpoint. <laughs> right. So right. Right. it's understandable if there's a, a not, I don't want to say ignorance, that's the wrong word. It's understandable that you don't have that complete knowledge of things. It's a disconnect. If, right, exactly. If, mm -hmm. if, if it hasn't been put out to you and you haven't had a chance to read about it, think about it, then of course you're going to feel as if you're missing out on something. So when the history books have one thing one way, but they don't they don't tell the whole story and that's what you constantly read and constantly hear and it's beaten down into you. Then you feel like, is it okay? What's been going on? Or why, why do I need to know that? Because that's not part of history. Well, yeah, it is. It may not have been told to you. You may not have wanted to receive it, but that doesn't mean that it should be forgotten about whether it's slavery, civil rights, women's suffrage, whatever that is, everything is a part of history. Black people, people of native American, Asian people, they're all part of our American history. They're part of our American right. culture. They're part of our American heritage. You can't just say, well, the, the pilgrims got here. That's all we needed to know. No, no, no. That doesn't happen that way. Right. It shouldn't even be thought about that way or talked about that way, especially when so many things have contributed to this country, good, bad, whatever that's going to be. And if you try to deny that history, which is what I believe the Black Lives Matter was all about, they were trying to educate people to say, this is why we're doing this. This right. is why we feel the need to march. This is why we feel the need to speak up and not just sit on our hands anymore because we tried that approach and it didn't work. Well, now that's out the window. So how you receive that, if you want to receive it, then okay, then we can have a conversation. If you don't want to receive it, then you're doing yourself a disservice by just staying in your little cocoon and staying in your rabbit hole and thinking that everything's going to be fine, that you don't need to know about that history. Yeah. Thank Preach. you. Preach. I know, right? Thank you for that. <sighs> so do you think Tokyo should happen? Man, with COVID-19, Donna, that's a really good question because okay, I understand. I don't know what Tokyo is. What's okay, happening? Okay, I'm sorry. With the, the Olympics. Olympics <laughs> were supposed to be last year. Yeah. What's yeah, happening in Tokyo? I am what an Olympic dork. I'm, yeah. I am an Olympic dork. I really am. I yeah. love the Olympics. So I always I. have. I always say, like, I don't become a P I'm not really a patriot until the Olympics happen. Mm -hmm. And right. um, I cry every time. I'm a sucker every time. Fucking whatever producer <laughs> on NBC puts together whatever the montage is. Uh -huh. I, I, I feel emotionally manipulated and I love it every time. Right. It, I mean, and I 100% am critical about the opening ceremonies. I yeah. can rank them. That's how much I love them. So I was, yeah. when Tokyo didn't happen, I was very disappointed. So Kathy, Tokyo was supposed to happen last summer mm -hmm. and they postponed it. Right. And now it's coming up. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I was going to say, it's going to throw up the numbers. It's like, it's supposed to be every four years, right? Right. Yeah. Every so okay. it, they're still going to call it Tokyo 2020, but of course they're having a 2021 just to keep things. I, Kathy, I get it. I, I get I, it. <laughs> but, 
What do you think? What's the what's the latest and what do you think? They still plan on having it. And I think a big reason why it's going to happen is what we saw at the Australian Open, where they had fans in the stands. It was a great atmosphere. But the minute they had one case, Australia said, whoop. Yeah. Five days. And yeah. I think Tokyo, they may have to wind up doing that. And it's going to be really interesting how they're going to handle that because there are only certain things you can try to bully your way through or bully you through and think that's going to work. You can't do with the Olympics what they did in the National Football League because they don't have that kind of room where they can have the Olympics last another week, another week and a half. Well, who's going to pay for that? Who's going to pay for the athletes to stay there right. from that standpoint? The NFL is yeah. easier to do that. The NBA is easier to do that. In the Olympics, we're all bringing everybody from all over the place. And hopefully they're going to be as safe as they possibly can. But we have to expect that an outbreak is going to happen. So I haven't been on the fence about it because, Don, I'm with you. I love the Olympics and I want to see it. I feel bad for the Simone Biles of the world having to do oh, another. Oh, yeah. I do know yet. about her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, seeing her on 60 Minutes where she's thinking, I really want to do this and I'm glad that she's going to. But I would not have been mad at her. She didn't want to do that after all the training and the grind oh my gosh, that she was going to put herself through. Right. So I think that's a that's a big deal. That's a great word, Kathy. Commitment, because you make a commitment and then you have to make another commitment for another year. That can be very hard to do. So from my standpoint, personally, I believe they should have it. But if Australia, the Australian Open was that safe, then you got to make things safer to the 25th power, because now you have more athletes from more corners of the world coming to your place in a greater volume. Than right. what we saw the Australian Open, where you have 128 men, 128 women, and then other people part of doubles tournaments and also also having a wheelchair portion of the Australian Open. So I believe it should happen. But I just wonder if, if we're going to trust the government that we hope can keep athletes safe. That's what I'm kind of uh, kind of right. scared from that standpoint. We still can't go to the grocery store. I'm like, you know, that's yeah. my thing. If we still can't go to the grocery store, we can't mm-hmm. have a holiday. Right. You know, without being safe. Can you imagine bringing everybody on board? It's- I mean, how much social distancing can you do? Because right. you have to house the athletes. You have to, if you're going to have spectators, okay, where are you going to put them? I'm believing there's only so many hotels that can go around in Tokyo. I know they're a great city. They're a large city, but we're talking about all those kind of people from different yeah. places. We don't know how safe they are. No, we, we do the relay, you know, that relay through. with the, with the baton. They're going to the have baton, to use a broomstick. Yeah. Are we going to put a mask on the baton? You <laughs> yeah. know, is that what we're going to do? The baton. <laughs> they, you know, all, but baton, the, baton, the, the baton has to matter from that standpoint to keep it safe. I mean, then what, hand sanitizer and running. Right. You know, are we going to have like somewhat hand sanitized with a hand of a ton off or something? You know, what kind of protocols are going to be part and parcel in the event? What is, what is the Olympics? Okay, welcome to the Olympics. You brought a four by four and relay, bring your baton. Is that what we're doing? BYOB from that standpoint with the Olympics? BYOB. <laughs> you know, seriously. So, oh I, I mean, I, I want it to happen. I just, I'm always going to be concerned for the safety of everybody involved, whether it's the athletes, the organizers, the health people that you're going to need that are going to be there. I'm always going to be more concerned than worrying about a sporting event, especially of that worldwide magnitude when it comes to Mm -hmm. Tokyo Olympics. Uh, Yeah. Do you think they will um, replace the, uh, uh, make the head of the Olympic committee that a woman? Do you think? 
Right now, I would take Mussolini over this guy. <laughs> I mean, I still don't know what you're saying, but it sounds funny. No, it's the just, head of the head of the Olympic Committee is. Oh, um, is he like a douche? A tired old guy. Yeah, okay. well, yeah he really. Look at your face. <laughs> it's just an insult to tired old guys like me that this dude <laughs> is in charge of this way. He is the most misogynistic person I have ever mm. run across running an organization which is saying some with a lot of owners that own NFL teams in the right. United States, <laughs> yeah. how misogynistic that they are. And this guy is miles beyond those guys. And yeah. yet, I don't know, he has that kind of stroke that people tried to move him out of power. And that's yeah. not going to happen. So I'm glad that we have a lot of women that have said, you know what? I'm not going to let it be about him. I'm not going to uh, let, mm-hmm. I'm not going to let him ruin my potential sunshine of competing for my country and living my dream competing in the Olympics. So, I'm glad the Olympics and the spirit of the Olympics have gone beyond what he is all about. But at a certain point, do you, when, like when can we have an election to move this guy out of there? But since those things don't happen, yeah. he's mm-hmm. going to be in charge of mm-hmm. the Olympics and in charge of the International Olympic Committee. And it's just a disgrace at times how he's allowed to continue to put stuff out there and make these kind of judgments and say these kind of things. And yet we can't move on and have somebody else. I don't care who she is or who he is. If it's a Martian, if it's the great gazoo from the Flintstones, I don't care. But anybody would be an improvement over what the IOC has right now yeah. with him being in charge of it. Yeah, you would think, like, they've had so many scandals in the last 10 years. You would think that they would just, like, hire the firm that's going to give you the checklist to find the right people to represent. But are you really surprised? I'm not really I'm not surprised. I don't know all this, but I'm not surprised because this is how big – Big organizations work. Yeah. It's like you, you stay on top and you oppress, you find ways, it's manipulating, it's yeah. money, it's something. Absolutely. And that's why our country's where it's at now. And that's why organizations are role modeling. And like I said, you know, uh, you know, we're all playing Simon Says and there's no Simon. Right. Yeah. You know, and, follow the leader, there's no leader. And it shouldn't be hard to call somebody out and know that they're doing wrong. But if you've been able to make that person your bedfellow or vice versa, then you can't go against somebody that you believe is crucial to you staying in an office or getting yeah. the kind of perks that you're used to getting. Right. So yeah. I know that there are a lot of countries out there that may not appreciate what the head of IOC has to say, what he does. But if you're able to benefit from his leadership, then you have people that you have to answer to, that right. you're going to be strong with your voice. Then they're going to say, oh, wait a minute, are you going to repay those millions of dollars that we're going to get from the IOC because you decide to speak up? It's right. a very fine line when you have somebody that has that kind of position of power, not kind of that has that position of power that he does. And he has enough allies that if somebody tries to speak up, they'll find a way to, to beat them back and shoot them right. down. Right, right. Yeah. So what's the what's the Freddie Coleman prediction about uh, women in football? I would love to see it. I guess I'm I don't necessarily mean players, but even no. like the ref well, this year. Well, not for nothing. That Donna and Kathy, that should happen a long time ago. Yeah. There have been more than enough coffee women that can be coached in baseball. They can be coaches in baseball. They can be coaches in football. They can be coaches in basketball. We have, they talk about, they never played the game. Well, Bill Belichick never played in the NFL either. And the last time I checked, he's one of the greatest coaches in history in the National Football League. Okay. So it, it, to me, it shouldn't matter, like, oh, did they play? Did they not play? If they have the expertise and they can coach and make players better, then why would you not want that person in charge of your team? I'm waiting for the day that Becky Hammond becomes a head coach of the NBA team. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. I know who Becky Hammond is. Mel, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, she's as qualified as any person that's going to be 
yeah. campaigning for an NBA job. But also look at somebody else like Nancy Lieberman, who yes. knows who's forgotten more about basketball than most NBA players know. And NBA players will tell you that, that they'll say, man, Nancy Lieberman, I have a basketball question. More often than not, I ask her because I know she right, knows the right. game. She yeah. understands the game. She knows how to make me better. So we, we still have that ceiling that when you have an old boy network, they want to make sure old boys are in positions. And especially if somebody looks like the old boys, they want to make sure that no interlopers are going to break through to their country club and break through to their party. But now we got Ng, who's in charge of the Miami Marlins. It took somebody, it took a Derek Jeter to say, Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. That's her boyfriend. Right. Well, that's been a long time coming with those two from that standpoint. (laughs) But it took Derek Jeter to tell everybody, I didn't hire her because she's a female. I hired her because she's the best person for the job and she's the best candidate for the job and she's the most qualified candidate for the job. He said, it's great that she's a female and yes, she can be a trailblazer, but that's not why we hired her to take over the Marlins. We believed in her ability, not just her gender. And that went a long way that it took somebody with the stroke of Derek Jeter, because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take somebody with that kind of, that kind of aura where somebody's okay. We're not going to question that hire. Because right, right. If he says it's okay, then we know it's okay. If they think that person's qualified, then that's the way it's supposed to be. So we still got a ways to go, but we keep making inroads where we have more women assistant coaches in the NBA than we ever had before. We have more NFL coaches. I mean, Tampa Bay Buccaneers had two women part of their football staff that was a part of helping to win a championship. And Bruce Arians has made the most diversified staff in the history of professional sports where he has people of color he has women he doesn't care he wants the best coach that can help him and help the team win so he really has a way to go we've been able to make a lot of strides in that standpoint and hopefully it won't get to a point where they say okay we fill the quota we don't need to do anything else that's when it really needs to go forward and it really needs to continue yeah i love being able to see it i know kathy's a little bored with this conversation i can tell what my head's on the mic (laughs) my head's on the microphone kathy's bored can't we talk about Jesus? What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the time that that Freddie heard Sophie tell her her favorite oh first word? Goodness. You want to tell that story? There's two levels to that story, by the way. I don't remember. Well, I don't remember. Well, you started with Sophie. I mean, we were having a conversation one day, and anybody who knows your daughter, there there are people that know filters, and then there's Sophie from that yeah. standpoint. If it's in her head, it's coming out of her mouth within two seconds. And Kathy would say, she would tell me, she said, Freddie, we're just sitting down, we're watching, we were driving somewhere. Sophie's in the backseat. I'm just She's driving about, How old was she? How old was Sophie? Maybe five. Maybe, yeah. Maybe five. And five or six. And Kathy, Kathy goes, Freddie, also Sophie just goes, Mom, I just love the word ass. <laughs> and Kathy said she almost drove off the road, turning to look back. What, what did you just say? <laughs> So she tells me this story, and I'm dying laughing. I think anytime a kid can just curse, you know, at that point, that's just gold to me. So we're hanging out about not even six months later, and Kathy was busting on my chops and everything. She was getting me pretty good. So I go, mm-hmm. I turn around to Sophie. Hey, Sophie, what's our favorite word? And it's like Sophie read this because she goes, I just love the word ass. And we could not stop And Kathy just glared at me. She goes, I can't believe you said that. I said, now I'll teach you to leave me alone from that standpoint. I have an ally in the back that's your child, your seed, that's going to help me anytime you get on my nerves. And she still has your, I'm sure she'll still have your back. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Oh my God. But that, but that's the way that she would from. say it. She was like, ass. Exactly. Like she had like this emphasis on yeah. 
Like, it was like the greatest word in the history of mankind to Sophie. Only three letters, but it said so much to her and it said so much to just put it out there. I can't wait till she edits this podcast. You know that, right? Oh, she's going to bust out laughing. She really, really is. She's going to bust out laughing. Go, wait a minute. Um, does she remember that? Does she, Probably not, but she. I'm sure not. she won't deny it. She won't deny it. Oh, no. 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 There's no way she'll deny that. Exactly. But at the any time, but I've never forget when you guys lived in Rosendale, when I was living in Highland. Oh. Uh oh, we forgot. Oh, come visit you guys in your apartment, which was what was the what was the furniture store that was over there um, on the main drag, right next to Blockbuster. Oh my God, on Route Nine. Was it Raymore? Yeah, no, I don't remember. No, it wasn't Raymore. No, no, where you guys lived at in um, Rosendale, New Paltz area, the main road to get to you guys. It was like that strip mall had the pizza place, had the video store, and there was a oh, huge yeah. furniture place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we got the big clock, cap. Oh, right. the big clock. Okay, okay, yeah. Exactly, yeah. 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 Exactly. So, yeah. so anytime I would go, anytime after you guys moved, and then I moved to Connecticut, and Denise and I were driving one day, and I was driving past that. I said, yeah, Kathy and Donna live right down there. Yeah. And Denise goes, where? So we went by your old apartment. This was maybe oh. like five, six years ago. Oh, oh my God. By your old apartment. I'm and on Denise... Main Street now. You could have come right over to Main Street. I'm oh, like, it's, yeah, what, I, yeah, I need to know these there. things now. Yeah. I need to know. Oh, please, things. anybody listening, don't just drop by Donna's house. <laughs> they already know. No, they already know where I live. No, I've mentioned no. it so many times. And, you know, if you do that, you know, at that point, that's on you. You get what you deserve. That's right. <laughs> you get what you deserve. But, you know, every time I think of, you know, that apartment, I always think of, that's when when you were in a safer place. Yes. From right. that yes. standpoint where you had the kids, yes. had Donna and everything. And so that was really cool that you had that apartment. It was, and the, the, the way your apartment was laid out was beautiful. I walked in. I was like, man, that's a nice living room. That's a nice kitchen. Got the, It was one level. It was right. the ranch yeah. level. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, but I told myself, so they ever move out of here, I'm moving in this place. <laughs> it was a cool yeah. place. We it was really, a cute little place. It was yeah, cute. It was, it was yeah. very cute. Fantastic. Very place. lucky. Very yep. fortunate. Yep. So, I'm living out uh, where mom and oh, dad, uh, mom yeah. and dad left the uh, trailer. Oh, in Marlboro? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, don't drop by anybody. Don't no. drop by. <laughs> Please. Don't do that. <laughs> I do have a crazy fan base, but um, see, this was the porch. You can see it on the Yes, screen. that's right. Oh, my God. Yeah. I redid the porch. So oh, nice. Offenses Kathy, you get back on the mic now. Oh. I, I, I thought it looked familiar because I remember we were there for the July 4th barbecue. That's right. That's, that's where I first met you. In this uh -huh. space I'm in right now. Yeah, because um, yeah. one of the first pictures I ever took with me and Denise was there. Oh, yeah. Yes. There. Mm -hmm. I love that. One of the first mm -hmm. pictures. Such yeah. good stuff. Oh, my God, so, Freddie. Absolutely. I what's am next so, for you, Freddie? Yeah, Who haven't on? you interviewed that you really would die for? Wow. Um, I mean, the easy answer is Michael Jordan, but everybody says that. And as a Knicks fan, I'm good. I don't need to interview him. <laughs> you know, he talked to my team way too many times. If I, I would love to interview Michelle Obama. I would love to interview her. I would that love would, for you to interview Michelle Obama. Yeah, that would be a bucket list to interview her. I would love to do that. Another person I would love to interview may not be the right thing to say. And I would love to interview Vladimir Putin to find out what makes him tick. Huh. Oh, interesting. You know, okay. to what makes him tick and mm -hmm. and everything. I know he wouldn't be honest because you know he would right. try to come with that bravado. Right. But I'd love to just sit down, look across from man to man, and just ask him questions that nobody would think to ask. And I wouldn't have to worry about being executed right. or anything like that because I'm not a Russian citizen. <laughs> right. And I have enough security right. around That's me. That's interesting. Right. Poisoned. But, yeah, but so I'll, I know who would be your interview. Who would you interview? Freddie Coleman. Oh, <laughs> that's right. 
but I'm, I'm a history buff. I would love to go back in history and interview Custer. You know, okay, why did you decide to yeah. do that mm-hmm. at Little Bighorn? Or, you know, interview Hitler. Like, okay, what made you think the way you did that you were able mm-hmm. to get so many people to follow on your ideology? Or interview FDR. Okay, you dealt with polio. You know, even by Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, dealing right. with him and throughout that whole yeah. time and becoming a world figure that she may be the most famous, if not the best first lady in the history of first ladies in the history of this country. So I've always been a history buff. I would love to go back in time and interview Alexander the Great, thinking, okay, what makes you think that after you conquered that, you could go through Russia, you know, from that standpoint. Stuff like that has always interested me that I would love to interview people like that. For me, it would be uh, Christopher Reed from uh, Kid and Play. And I'd be like, how did you come (laughs) up with that dance? And Pauly Shore, first of all, love him. How do you get your hair products so good? I love him. It'd be inter- inter- he'd be an interesting interview because he's Mitzi Short's kid who yeah. started the comedy store yes. in Los Angeles. Yes. So it'd be cool to find out all the famous people. Can you imagine all the famous people that oh my he saw growing up right, that his right. mom employed? Yes. All these right. Comedic legends. He'd be a yes. cool interview. Yes, he would be. See, that's and I knew that information. Yeah. That's my. That's more my side of the right. yeah. <laughs> the history yeah. part. Yeah, and I, and I love comedians because I just love. You know how they can you know, because comedians are the most insecure people <laughs> yeah. and the yeah. most hypersensitive people, uh-huh. but they take that out of their audience a lot of the yes. time. You know where they point out stuff here, there, and everywhere. So it's really that's that may be to me maybe the ladies that may be the greatest art form because yeah. you're coming up creating something to strangers and you're hoping that they'll receive it. Right. You're hoping that it could be five people in the audience. It could be 19,000 people in Madison Square Garden, but all eyes are on you and you better make them laugh. The old lines you take all the time. That's Yo, a lot you better of pressure. Be That's yeah, a lot of pressure. That's a yeah, lot of gas for me. When I'm exactly. nervous, I just, I get gassy. It's out of yeah. control. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, like, but I could do it. Yeah. You know, I'd love it. You probably could do it. You could probably pull it off. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it. I love being in front of an audience. I love yeah, it. Because D.L. Oh. Hughley said one time, the first comedy show he ever did, he gets up on stage in California, and the first thing he hears, yo, N-word, you better be funny. And he right. said right then and there, right. okay, this is how this is going to be. <laughs> and he, he said he always has in the back of his mind that there's somebody out there saying, yo, man, you better be funny. That's right. And that carries <laughs> right. him through. It carries him through. And that, that, he said that is his, that's his center, that if he has any kind of, okay, you know, I'm getting too big for my britches, when he goes out on stage, he knows there's always somebody out there saying, yo, man, you better be fun. That's right. And it, and it spurs him <laughs> on. Know your role. Know your role. Exactly. Know your role. Know your exactly. role. say that all the time. All the time. Know your um, role. Freddie, I just can't even tell you uh, how much this time has meant for me that I'm, I want to thank Donna for reaching out to you and making it happen. Amen. I, I'm glad you ladies reached out. Exactly. Oh, my God. You look amazing. So proud of you. Thank you. So um, I know Donna's going to. you ladies to this podcast because this is a blast. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. I love doing it. It's, it's definitely bonded me and Donna even more so. Uh, And again, uh, who would have thought three years later, we'd have all these listeners and, and have a good time and uh, making a difference and, and it's authentic. It's, we make a difference just being us, you know, and and, and authenticity goes a long way. Yeah. Especially more than ever before, because uh, I think a lot of people are tired of the fake. Because yeah. they know fake when they see it. They yes. understand fake when it's trying to be presented to them. So when people are being themselves, better for worse, whatever that is, but that authenticity goes a long way with people. And we need that more than ever before. We've always needed it, 
But with this world getting crazier by the minute where you got this over here and that over there, sometimes just know that that authenticity is a safe space that you can go to. It's okay. I know I have that there from Catherine and Donna that no matter what goes on, I know I'm going to be in that safe space. So Aww. we need that more than ever before. Well, thanks, Aww. We try. We try. <laughs> so people can find you um, on, how do they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Coleman ESPN. And if you're a sports nut or just a casual sports fan, me, Ian Fitzsimmons, Freddie Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80 from 9 p. to 1 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. Right on. Thank right you, Freddie. All right, pleasure, we're going to have you back. We're going to have you back. You better. Oh, yeah. Right. All right. All right. You better. Thanks, right. Freddie. My pleasure, ladies. Love you guys. Love Bye. you, too. Love you, too. Hey, Sophie here, and the sisters are making plans for 2021, and we want you to be the first to know. As a thank you for giving us your email, we have three gifts for you. Go to our website, www.thesistersarein.com, and sign up at the bottom of the homepage to get your downloads. Two meditations with Kathy and a 2021 full moon intentions from Donna and myself. Thank you for supporting The Sisters Are In. Open up my window to substitute outside.